Ingram Smith, Bud Elliott, back again for another episode of the Knollcast. A uh, a very important, meaningful game in the tenure of Willie Taggart. We'll give uh, you, the listener, our best idea as to how that might play out. Uh, I've got as good of a guess as we could hope for, uh, for uh, being able to get a Miami perspective of things. Uh, Cam will join us from the state of the U here shortly. But uh, as always, want to thank our friends in New Iberia, Louisiana, Louisiana Hot Sauce, the title sponsor of the Knollcast, uh, something that we've been ever so fortunate to be able to brag about uh, for an awful long time now. Great partners they are, and uh, we always appreciate the support that uh, you, the listenership, gives them. So, Bud, um, we try to stay away from hyperbole. Uh, we try to stay away from cliche, but this is uh, this is one of the more important and perhaps defining moments of uh, Willie Taggart's tenure here at Florida State, uh, both from his overall view and also uh, have a long way to go in uh, in what kind of recruiting class he can probably put together as well. You ain't lying, man. I mean, you're, you're talking about important for recruiting. You're talking about important for relationships with the boosters, with, with, with your administration, with, with your fans. You're talking about, I think, important for your belief of your own players, right? Like this is a game that Florida State, and they are favored to win in Vegas. I don't think they're the better team here, but they are at home. And when you're at home, it does give you chances to beat teams that are you know, probably better than you, but not a lot better uh, than you. And I don't think the gap between these two teams is necessarily uh, huge. And this is, a, this is a, an important opportunity uh, for the Knowles. If they get this, they're going to be bowl eligible because they'll definitely beat Alabama State. And if you get this one, whether it's by one or by 50, if you get this one, then that road trip to Boston College becomes a trip you can play kind of free and loose. Not that you want to lose the game, but in terms of like you don't go up there all, all, all tight, right? Because you don't need that for a bowl. You need that for your seventh win of the year as opposed to your sixth. So certainly something, uh, a lot riding on this game for Florida State. I don't think it's a referendum game, but I will tell you it's a good idea as a head coach to not start out 0-4 against your rivals or, I guess, 0-6 if you, if you want to count uh, Clemson as a rival. All right. Hey, y'all. Uh, now we're really excited to bring in Cam Underwood of State of the U. And uh, Cam's been a friend of mine for a long time. Very active presence on Twitter as well. Uh, if, if you guys follow him, if you're not blocked, that's uh, that, that's awesome. Uh, he's, he's a good dude and extremely knowledgeable. Actually, a Miami grad. By the way, which is not something that you always run into with some Miami fans, uh, but Cam's a good dude and, and very knowledgeable at Miami. So we're like, I, I got to have a Miami guy on. There was no other choice for me, at least. Cam, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. I, I appreciate that. Yeah, you know, uh, I followed your lead with uh, actually switching from blocks to mutes on social media. So a lot of people are, are probably muted, so they can still get the content, but I don't get their their snark uh, coming back to me. But uh, yeah, you know, I've been been blogging for a while and everything. Obviously, uh, just uh, love the Canes. I am an alum, 2004 from the School of Music. So, uh, yeah, I did actually matriculate and go to and graduate from the University of Miami. And uh, this is a big week. So, yeah, this is why I'm here. It is. I I, I wish our records combined could be a little bit better uh, entering this game. Um, 3.30 kick, ABC Regional, I believe. Florida State is favored by three now. It opened up six and a half. I took a piece of that six and a half, by the way. Uh, with, with the Canes, I thought that was a little bit high. Uh, and the total is 47 and a half. The weather is going to be perfect. Like high 70s, humidity is dropping a little bit. This this should be nice, like fall football weather, but you probably won't need a jacket. I'm, I'm excited about that. Looking at the overall stats here, uh, SP Plus has Miami at 30th, Florida State at 47th. Uh, 
Miami, in some ways, has been very unlucky, I think, to be 4-4. Four and four. Uh, They've had really positive turnover luck, which is kind of weird. Uh, but they've had some very like unfortunate timing of some of their turnovers, I, I think, that have really kind of put them in some bad spots. Uh, I know their like adjusted record shows that they should probably be five or three or six and two. Florida State comes into the game at four and four. I, I got to tell you, like it was just not an option not to have a guest on this preview show because Miami for me is a really tough team to figure out this year. They have actually in three of their four losses, they have an expected win percentage of 70 or higher, which is really nuts. And then, you know, like some of their wins, you know, they, they, they played pretty well against, against Virginia and Bethune and Central Michigan. I think Cam will tell you they probably should not have won the pit game. Like, it's weird. They've managed to lose games that they definitely should have won and win a game last week that they were outplayed in a lot of segments. Uh, Cam, where are we going to start with? Let's start FSU's defense. Miami's offense, a new offensive staff for Miami this year. Kind of fill us in on what you're seeing from this Miami offense. Well, before we even get there, I do want to just back that up. I agree with you. Uh, you know, just with the just some hard luck losses. You know, you got three games that you lose where the post game win expectancy is seventy percent. Like that's a lot. And then you know, I've been talking with our former colleague who's now at ESPN, Bill Connolly, about that. And just like it's 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 just been crazy unlucky in terms of the game result and then he said one of these days you're gonna like statistically dominate a game and win and i sent him back that uh, gift from anchorman you know i don't believe you and this <laughs> you know and it wasn't we didn't dominate against pit but it was the opposite where pit actually dominated some of the, of the stats but we ended up winning so it still had like a 60 to 65 percent post game win expectancy so yeah it's been a really weird season uh, just uh, overall. So, yeah, I, I, what you said up top, I definitely echo. Uh, in terms of the offense, uh, Dan Enos came over from Alabama. There was that great Bruce Feldman piece in The Athletic of Nick Saban, you know, screaming through the whole uh, uh, facility there, screaming, where the F is Dan Enos, uh, which is great. Uh, but he's in Coral Gables, and the quarterback play um, from Jaron Williams and Nikosi Perry has improved. Um, so the floor has risen. Uh, the ceiling is still high for both of them, but it's there's a large variance, to use your word. But uh, the, the, there's very uh, inconsistent play. So they both Perry and Williams have hit the floor for their performance, like three turnovers in seven passes in the first three drives against um, <laughs> Virginia Tech and then getting pulled for Jaron Williams. And then six <laughs> for 23 and whatever and a pick for Nikosi last week before getting pulled. So we've seen a bad from them, but we've all seen very good uh, from both of them. Jaron Williams having 72% completions through the first five, four games of the year. Nikosi Perry obviously coming back in the second half of the Virginia Tech game and just lighting them on fire for 300 uh, yards and four touchdowns and things like that. So, um, yeah, the floor has risen a little bit. Um, but it's just still, I think that Dan Enos wants to be that I formation kind of guy a little bit too much still, uh, still wants to be that, that pro style guy. Um, and I think that he's hamstrung a little bit because Miami's offensive line has just been terrible. Uh, it has improved over the last few weeks. Um, but in passing situations, passing downs, um, I don't have the the stats in front of me, but it's been quite poor. Uh, I know that in the SP plus um, in the success rate on passing downs. And that's just because, quite frankly, Zion Nelson, true freshman starting at left tackle, he cannot block guys when they speed rush. I don't know what he does, but he like 
He takes a short set and then turns his shoulders perpendicular to the line of scrimmage on passing downs, which cuts makes that corner, you know, a shorter distance for these guys to go around. And those defensive ends have been taking advantage of that. And it's, it's just tough. So, um, you know, Daniels wants to be multiple. He wants to do hard, you know, under center back to the defense play action passing. And Miami's run game was solid up top. You know, you have DJ Dallas going for 100 in the first three games, including against Florida in the opener. Um, but as the productivity of the running game has waned over the course of the season, those play action passes are not as effective because nobody's going to really bite hard on, you know, turn your back to the defense play action on third and 14 from under center. Like, where are you, where are you going? You're passing the ball. You know, so uh, it's been a little bit of that. Uh, I would like to see, you know, Brevin Jordan maybe get the ball a little bit more. Uh, coming into the season, the chatter was Jeff Thomas is going to get 10 touches a game. And I said, even up top, that's got to include kick and punt returns because there's no way we're throwing him the ball 10 times a game. Now, halfway through or two thirds of the way through the season, the fan base is caught up to where I was preseason talking about, oh, where are these touches for Jeff Thomas? He was never going to get 10 passes a game, guys. But people are still wanting that. But even if he were to get go from four targets to or sorry, six targets to eight targets in a game, you know, that could be beneficial. So uh, there's been positives and negatives with this offense. Um, but I, like you, think that, you know, Miami would be best served moving towards a spread full time. Uh, and I think that some of those times that they've been most successful, you've seen them integrate those spread elements. But I want to see that be the foundation, not the uh, the special engagement on the offense. So to uh, to piggyback on, on some of those those things you said here, I uh Miami's uh, passing downs offense, 92nd in the nation. Uh, for a while, I was tracking this with Bill. They were actually going to be on pace to set an all-time record for the biggest split between passing downs and standard downs. But uh, they they were down in like the hundreds, I think, for a little bit. And it was and they were like 10th in the country on standard downs uh, for a time. And I was like, I, like, how? And I looked into it at the time, and it was like, okay, they're hitting explosive plays on play action, just like you said, man. Yeah, and, it's, and now not – quite as much, although they've, I think, managed to complete some more of those passes uh, as far as, like, just standard dropbacks. They also, uh, they're 130th in the nation in uh, uh, third and long percentage, in terms meaning not, like, their conversion rate, but what percentage of, of the third downs faced are third and long, and Miami's 130th in the nation in that, um, which would, would kind of speak to putting a young quarterback in kind of a, a tough situation. Yeah, we, we've had very few third and shorts. And then when we do, it's been, um, you know, inside zone. But there was one play, I think, or last week on fourth and one, we like motioned KJ Osborne towards the formation and did a little quick slip screen behind the line. That was an ingenious play call. But yeah, most of the time, and it's been unsuccessful because Miami's still quite poor on third down conversions overall. Uh, yes, it, third down offense needs uh, improvement. So you pair all that with what you're talking about and a little bit of a hard time to pin down exactly what the identity is, although I've enjoyed hearing what you said. Uh, 114th in the nation as far as pace of play, I believe. Is there like a general frustration of that? I realize a first-year offensive coordinator, you're going to be pretty much open to what they want to bring, but that's uh, got to be a little bit I guess, a little bit hard to watch at times with uh, some of the talent and maybe the – want to get uh, guys like Jeff Thomas the ball more frequently? 
I mean, not just Jeff Thomas, but lots of guys on offense. And I've always said it, you know, when I was an athlete playing basketball or soccer or football or anything, my preferred offensive style is pace and space, always has been in any sport. So I personally would like to see more pace in the offense. And even when Al Golden was the coach, even when Mark Richt was the coach, even if you just run two plays a quarter, at up-tempo speed, that's eight extra snaps, you know, that you can get or more in the course of the game. Just a little bit of something different. Um, but, you know, through the course of this year, it's really just been trying to get everything settled. And especially with the offensive line being as green as it is, I think that has been a big factor in slowing the tempo down and really just trying to find a play that you can execute. And really making sure everybody knows their assignments and things like that. So is there the desire to go faster and see those guys, the skill position talent on the Miami roster, get the ball in their hands and maybe in space and, you know, go faster on offense? Yes, absolutely, unequivocally, 100%. But I don't think that we're in a place where it would be beneficial to everyone to do that. So though I hate it, I think that a slower tempo actually fits where this entire roster is, including the guys up front, because if they can't block it, then you can't run it. Cam, Miami's been able to hit some explosive runs uh, this year. They're actually ninth in terms of, of explosive run percentage uh, per, per Bills numbers. I, how are they doing this? Like I, I've seen a couple of them, but I haven't certainly seen all of them. It seems like they wouldn't they wouldn't seem to be coming off tackle because of of the tackles that that Miami, you know, has, like you said, especially Zion Nelson. Uh, are, are they are they hitting the outside using their tight ends, or is this coming up the gut? How, how, how is Miami managing to hit these explosive runs? A lot of it is going to the offense's left, so that's running behind Zion Nelson and Devon Donaldson. Uh, most of the explosive runs have gone that way. Um, I, I want to say off the top of my head, I think it's like 50-50 if there's a tight end over on that side or not, but a lot of it's been left of center going that way. And most of them, I want to say, again, I'm just off the top of my head, I want to say almost half of them are effort plays. So a guy gets hit, but then he spins away. You think that DJ Dallas run against Virginia Tech, right? Sure. That one was right up the middle. Like, I think it was to the A-gap, just right of center. But he goes through, squares through. There's a guy touching him, touching him. He gets under a tackle. Boom, then he's gone. If you look at all these other plays, you know, uh, that touchdown he had against Florida, that's off the left side. You think of another run that he had, that's off the left side. So I think that the run blocking, you, if, if you get it and you call it at the right time, Zion Nelson and Devon Donaldson will bury you, and they will give room for the running backs to go. Uh, and run a far ways. Now, if you think also, Cameron Harris has had two runs of 54 and 52 called back for phantom holding calls. Like, well, no, no, sorry. One was a phantom hold. The other one, Brevin Jordan tackled a guy like right in the A-gap, even though <laughs> it went way outside. Um, so it was behind the play. But I mean, yeah, it was, he was like running a, a uh, I forget, but he was like running an arc block or something, uh, and the, he was one-on-one -on -one with a defensive tackle, and he was just like, ah, nope, got to tackle you. But the run was way, way to the sideline. But So if you have those 106 yards on two plays also added to the explosive run numbers, it could be even more. So it there are those times when Miami cannot run, but if you give these guys a crease, they're going to make you pay. That's something I'm just really interested in seeing here because I – I don't really love Florida State's um, run defense on, on the edges of the defense, right, with with, with their defensive ends. Uh, but they are running uh, 
you know, when they go to that 3-4 uh, and even some of the 4-3 kind of reduced look, I, I think they probably have the best like interior defensive line in the conference. And there's not a whole lot of spots in this defense that I would say are, are like even good, much less great. But you know, I would think that that Wilson's going to be very highly drafted, and you know, I think Cooper eventually could be drafted, and Durden will be will, will be drafted. That that's kind of the strength of this defense, and I'm interested to see. You know, does Miami try to stretch it out? Obviously, like you said, run some of that outside zone stuff, and see if they can if they can get to the edge. I, I wouldn't anticipate them having a whole lot of success running you know a gap b gap against those guys it's it's sort of an area where florida state has uh has largely um improved quite a bit over the last couple like i would say month of defense but their their run defense on the edge despite what willie taggart will tell you in the press conferences uh is uh is not that good in my opinion yeah and i mean i think that that's a, a place that they're gonna go um because they miami's had such success running to the outside. And I know that, you know, sometimes, especially in a big rivalry game like this, you want to break tendencies. So you think, hey, they think we're going to go outside. We're going to go inside. Who's going to man up? You know what I mean? Against Cooper and Wilson. I mean, is it going to, I mean, is Navon Donaldson going to find the freshman All-American form of 2017 and step back to that level? Because he's not played to that level ever since that freshman All-American season. But are you going to put him one-on-one and is he going to bury a guy like Marvin Wilson who's as big and strong as him? You know what I mean? Uh, I don't necessarily see that. But, yeah, you know, kind of some outside runs. And then maybe, you know, Jaron Williams, who was named the starting quarterback today uh, on Wednesday as we record this, he's a great passer in the quick game. So, you know, maybe we add in more slip screens, more tunnel screens, more, you know, RPOs, you know, things where the ball gets out of his hand to the to the edges. So those passes are in the Texas Tech and uh, Washington State mold of it's a throw, quote unquote, but it's really an extension of the run game. It's where Florida State's defense probably struggled the most as far as the pass game is the is the short passing game. And that's something that certainly stands out to me. As you mentioned, that that is a, an area where I think the defense can be exploited and. Uh, Florida State hasn't necessarily uh, – they've gotten better at it, but they've still shown the proclivity that if you want to take small chunks, uh, whether it be on the ground or in the air, that uh, they'll they'll perhaps make them available for you. I mean, nickels and dimes add up to dollars, you know what I mean? <laughs> so how much difference is there really in the pocket presence and the getting sacked between – and I know this is absurd – a 13% sack rate or sack rate for Jaron Williams and an 8.7 for Nikosi. I mean, 8.7 is high. And then Jaron's like, hold on, I'm going to let you finish. I'm going <laughs> to come up with a <laughs> like third. We've been doing this a long time, probably a decade of podcasts. I don't think I've ever seen anybody, any quarterback have a 13% sack rate. Yeah, that's, uh, that's high. That's like one out of seven almost. Whew. Like what, what is happening on these? Is it just, is it just Zion and then he's not handling the other stuff well? Does he hold the ball too long? What a little bit, uh a little bit from column A, a little bit from column B. Uh there have been some jailbreak uh, you know, fire calls, you know, on the offensive line of snap, oh God, the guy's by me already. Um, but Jaron Williams holds the ball a lot. And if you he said it after the Florida game, he took 10 sacks and six of those. Were be- six of those sacks of the 10 he took were because he held the ball and he said he needs to get the ball out. And I appreciate what he's doing because Jerry Williams can run. He ran uh, for a big first down against Pittsburgh, but he's not the runner that Nikosi Perry is. So 
instead of trying to do something that he's not necessarily the most talented at, he wants to stay in there and find a guy down the field to use his golden arm to try to find. But at some time, that alarm has to go off on your head and say, buddy, you got to go. So, yeah, I mean, like one out of six and a, one out of seven and a half passing attempts ending in a sack at 13 or whatever, 14%, that's ridiculously high. So, I mean, there are the times when the offensive line does not give him any time. Uh, but he also, for – for better or for worse, he will sit in there and trust that pocket, even if it doesn't exist, and wait and hold that ball. But we've even seen times when he'll be scrambling to his right, almost at the sideline, and take a sack for a two-yard loss and not throw it away. What are you doing? You know, like I get that your your pristine seventy-two percent um, completion rate is like your it's like your seven eighty credit score that you are seriously <laughs> protective of, and you don't want anything to happen to that. But, buddy, I promise you, 70.5% and you throwing that ball away and living for second and nine or, or, you know, third and nine as opposed to third and 13 is a big advantage for this offense. So, please, throw the ball away a little bit, man. Cam, you can't be worst in the nation in terms of uh, third down distance faced if you throw the ball away. Well, I get maybe that's what he wants to have then and have that on his record for, you know, we were we were number one in something. It was a bad stat, but we were number one in it. Uh, actually, number one in two things. Also, Miami is now uh, dead last in the nation in terms of havoc rate allowed. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's, again, just on the offensive line. Um, that's Those are pressures, sacks, TFLs. Um, and passive defense and interception. Right, yeah, yeah. 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 So uh, you've had a couple of those pat- batted at the line, but both Perry and Williams, they see – they're they're very good at passing down the field. I mean, and that's what a quarterback does. But on some of the pass concepts that we run, they don't account for an underneath defender. And that's a thing that's been standard with Jaron since he got here. And that's the reason why I thought he didn't start last year, because in the spring game, you could see he wanted to, you know, throw that square in or throw that slant. And he thinks, OK, that's open. And at the last second in the spring game, that white jersey flashed in front of me. He goes, oh, go- oh, wait, wait, whoa, where'd you come from? So that underneath defender has been there. And I think that's where some of the interceptable passes that were not caught by the defense in the first five games, that's where they came from. They came from that defender underneath at the second level that he didn't account for, didn't see. And the same thing with Nikosi Perry. There are guys sometimes where they'll read a thing and think, okay, this defense is going to do one thing, but there's an underneath defender going a different way, and that will you know, impact the, the havoc rate allowed also. So, I mean, if you put all that together, when you're talking about average distance of you know the plays that we run on offense, then, well, all that adds up to it's going to be a far distance for Miami to go to convert. I have really good news for you. Um, yeah. Florida State's linebackers have zero interceptions and zero PBUs on the year. Let's go. I mean, literally. Now, if Jaron, if we can just have him stand there and Jaron doesn't see them, then, then I, I like FSU's chances. They've been with us since day one, and uh, we couldn't be more fortunate to be able to partner with Madison Social for the Table Restaurant Group, uh, Matt Thompson and his team. It's the same team that we would tell you to keep in mind if you have any uh, type of catering or event planning to do. Work directly with Matt, uh, Matt at ForTheTableHospitality.com. Again, Matt at ForTheTableHospitality.com. Uh, if you're in Tallahassee this weekend, there will be no better place. The weather looks absurdly uh, <laughs> absurdly kind uh, for a football atmosphere something that this uh, part of the country hasn't seen uh, in quite a while and there's no better place to take in the scenes uh, than Madison Social in their deck and uh, please do keep them in mind uh, for those of you that are making your way to Tallahassee this weekend 
would you blitz this kid if you're Florida State, or would you just sit back and dare Miami to be consistent and not give him the big play? And does your answer change depending on which quarterback played? Yeah, that oh, that's a really good multi-level question. Um, who? I think that you got to blitz him because I don't think that Miami can be consistent in the in their protection. And then you got on top of that, if you're blitzing him, then you have to have the protection work and then the pass work. Um, and some of those things, uh, they can come apart sometimes. So, I mean, if if Nikosi's in the game, I think that you're going to play more coverage. I think that you're not going to blitz him. You're going to drop guys back and make him fit it in because he has a cannon for an arm, but his touch and sensitivity with the ball are not necessarily where they need to be. Jaron. Nah, he is a surgeon. If you lay back in coverage, he's going to find those guys. He's going to hit the mesh route. He's going to hit that square in. He's going to hit that uh, that uh, spacing route on zone. He will find it if you give him time. So with him in there, you got to bring that pressure, get him off platform, get him moving around because, again, while he can move a little bit, he's not necessarily an athletic quarterback in that kind of a way. So K.J. Osborne, Brevin Jordan, Jeff Thomas, those are the three past targets that Florida State fans should probably know. What do you like about each of them? KJ Osborne is a fifth-year senior. He transferred over from Buffalo. He went to IMG Academy after he transferred down from Ypsilanti East High School. Uh, he was a two-star recruit, which is why he went to Buffalo, redshirted, played with Tyree Jackson over there. He had almost 800 yards last season and seven touchdowns. He's an older guy in that he's a fifth-year senior, so he's the veteran of the group of, the, of receivers, and he's a, he's a professional in the way that he goes about things. He's been around a program that's won eight, nine games. You know, he had to work hard to get to where he, he has gotten, even at IMG, to get to Buffalo. He had to work very hard on his craft. At, at Buffalo, to elevate himself, he had to work very hard. So his work ethic and consistency is what I like about him. Doesn't really drop many balls. He's not going to run past you too many times, but he's tough. And he'll always be there. He's always just going to play his hardest um, in a consistent way, which I like. Because, you know, when you have young receivers, sometimes, oh, the play is not designed for me. I'm going to take that play off. There's no plays off with number two. And I appreciate that. And then, like I said, last week he got an opportunity to make a play against Pittsburgh, took a hit on his shoulder, took another hit on his hip on that last uh, RPO slant, took it the distance. That's the game winner. So, you know, he's been at this level for many years. He plays very, very well. Um and he has that kind of consistent possession receiver skill set. If there's a guy that you're looking at for a 14-yard square in on third and 12, it's probably going to be Jaron looking for K.J. Osborne. Jeff Thomas is an athletic freak. He lit the Under Armour All-American game on fire four years ago, uh, came in. He's one of the fastest players in America. He can take any route at any time the distance, whether it's a stop route, slip screen, uh, an eight route, a post or a flag or a, a go route over the top. Uh, in play action, he's dangerous because he can do the, you know, if you're running a, a outside zone play action, he can be on the backside at half speed like he's about to block. And as soon as the quarterback pulls out to look deep, he can take two steps and be the top speed. And you probably, many teams in America do not have anybody who can run with him. Uh, he's incredibly athletic. If you remember that catch he had uh, on that fourth down uh, last year against Florida State up the seam, that was the one play before the touchdown to Brevin Jordan where he jumped over in the middle of three defenders at 5'10", jumping up to you know six and a half feet, catching that ball, securing it, getting it in. He has all the athletic gifts in the world. 
He's been inconsistent, though, uh, with his performance and his personal decorum. Uh, he's coming back off of a two-game uh, suspension right now. He was suspended and then left the team for the last five games last season. Um, he got kicked off of his high school team for his entire junior season uh, for personal conduct and decorum issues. So some of those things continue to, to rear themselves uh, here in, in Miami. But he's incredibly talented. Um, and, yeah, that, that's the thing to like. Brevin Jordan, for my money, is the best tight end in America, and I really am not here to hear any uh, dissension about that. He's improved really great, uh, really far as a blocker. He still leads uh, America, all, all tight ends in America, in receiving yards, and that's with him not being targeted as much as other people in other offenses. He is just a dynamic playmaker. He's going to play on Sundays. Um, you know, he can run away from linebackers. He's too big for safeties. Um, he did get caught by a safety in that uh, Virginia game because he was kind of looking over his shoulder and everything. He's not the fastest guy in the world, but he's a mismatch problem, has sure hands, and is very athletic. You can use him in the screen game. You can use him um, – you know, just up the middle, you can uh, put him on an option route. Again, he's just a mismatch pretty much on anybody that would be defending him. And he's, again, the best tight end in America. So when you put those three guys together, Miami does have really good receiving options. Uh, it's a very impressive unit. And Jeff Thomas, I, th I imagine most people will be familiar with him. I'm, I still say that if uh, if college football really was a video game, Jeff Thomas might be the number one pick overall in the country. I mean, he, he just he's got a physical skill set that – uh, you don't see he's not a real big guy, but he's got elements of a. Uh, he's not he's not a string bang. I'll put it that way. He's pretty pretty well put together to be as quick and explosive as he is. And uh, between the wide receivers and uh, receiving options you talked about, and then uh, with DJ Dallas, it's a it's a really explosive offense. And I can see why it's been uh, you know why it it ranks as high as it does in in some of the uh, advanced statistics for measuring explosiveness. Yeah, I mean, and then on top of that, you add in Cameron Harris uh, as the 1A to DJ Dallas's running back number one, and that's just another playmaker for Miami. So if Florida State can stop the run and they don't have to worry about the play action quite as much, Miami's in trouble. If Miami's able to run the ball, then Florida State's defense could be in trouble. Probably not going to have the quarterback play and the pass protection to just drop back and throw it 35 times uh, in this game. Which is kind of my, if you only listen to one minute of this segment of the podcast, that's and Cam's nodding in the background. That's probably, yeah. Uh, so see if Florida State can stop the run. Um, hopefully Willie Taggart is right, but I don't know if he is as far as stopping the run on the edge. We'll have to see about that. All right, Ingram, uh, I got a call today from one Shannon Young of Resolution Home Loans. You guys know him, 844-FSU-LOAN or FSUHomeLoans.com. And he said, hey, bud, I, I was just so excited that I, I wanted to tell you, uh, like, with a phone call as opposed to text because we do text a lot. He said, we're going to have seven closings, I think, in November that are from Nolcast listeners. And I was like, ooh, okay. Because in my mind, I was like, I think we only had one or two in October. And the Nolcast listener stepped up and said, hey, we want to buy some houses. Let's go ahead and get this thing done. And he anticipates seven uh, new Nolcast homeowners. So congratulations to all those people. I'll learn who you are very soon, assuming you want the T-shirts. Uh, that come with uh, with being a Nolcast uh, mortgage user, and uh, there's no better no better company to go with the Resolution Home Loans, in my opinion. I got my home loan through them; they've been great. And uh, make sure you check them out at four four FSU Loan or FSUHomeLoans.com. Let's go ahead and uh, oh, why why does Miami like why does Miami suck in the red zone? Hundred and third in terms of, of uh, points per opportunity. Like what what is the issue there? 
I don't know what the play calls are. I don't know like what I don't Miami has zero identity in the red zone. Like what we're trying to do, what we're trying to accomplish. I mean, the top goal obviously is to get into the end zone. Everybody knows that that's, you know, your main idea if you will. But the way in which we try to go about that, I couldn't tell you from week to week or consistently. Um and I I just it's just been when the offense has failed at some of the worst times. You know, it's gotten really uh, conservative play calling from uh, Dan Enos. Uh, he did try a couple things in a couple of these games recently. Did try that tight end end around to Brevin Jordan against Virginia. Uh, that did not work, but I appreciate the effort to do something new and different. Um, but, yeah, it's just from our goal line to the 20-yard line going in, Miami has at least an idea of what they want to do. They might not consistently achieve that, but there's a clear idea. In the red zone, there's no idea, and I think that that's borne out in the statistics. Oh, hey, Cam, I did find three other things that Miami is actually either first or worst at in the nation. Oh, let's go. <laughs> All right. So they are number one on both offense and defense in terms of percentage of their first downs coming on first or second down. So basically, like, okay. Miami's offense never converts, and Miami's defense never allows conversions. Correct. That's pretty crazy to be number one in both those. And they're also number one in the country. It's tied uh, for backed-up turnover rates. So, like, turnovers inside of your own 20-yard <laughs> line. Yeah, yeah, yeah no, yeah. that's that's a thing that we've seen. I mean, oh, God. Yeah, that Georgia Tech game. Um, you know, I and because it's the thing. When you have third and long, what does everybody say? I mean, even if you're a casual fan. Run the ball or run a screen and then punt it. But we were on the two-yard line, and I said, no, 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 no. Don't run the screen. Run the ball and punt it. What happens? They get a jailbreak. Uh, the right guard slips coming out of his stance right on the goal line. So then all of a sudden, Nikosi Perry, that was a jailbreak, a, a code fire you know, thing where he's like, oh, God, there's a guy in my face, and I'm trying to throw a screen, and I have no time. Ended up being a fumble for a touchdown in Georgia Tech's favor, but yeah, those things, um, those things happen. It's and it's weird because even when you make a conservative play call, we're still finding a way to turn the ball over in our own like uh, end, uh, you know, close to the end zone. It's not not positive. Hmm. That is uh, that is not positive. Although maybe not repeatable skill or repeatable detriment. No, Edgar, you want to flip this over to uh, Miami's defense, Florida State's offense. Yeah, we'll move over to uh, Miami's defense. Still uh, somewhat reminiscent of the little bit of a traditional 4-3, which we really don't see uh, all that much. A lot of it's been made of Miami's linebackers, rightfully so. Uh, but a team that can kind of blitz from all angles, so a little bit of a uh, unpredictable as far as what you're going to get, uh, particularly when you pair that with that traditional of a formation. But uh, what are your overall thoughts as far as what you've seen from Miami's defense this year, Cam? Yeah. Yeah, Miami's defense is, you know, pretty much a 4-3. We did sub out the third linebacker for a hybrid safety outside backer. We call the striker position. Some people call it the star or whatever at that second level, um, who's probably the defensive MVP, by the way, That's uh, or in the running. It's Romeo Finley, who was the most improved player on the team last year. Um, I think that schematically we're doing a lot of things the same. I just think that there's been breakdowns uh, at one, one level or another on the defense. And when you have – you know, one guy missing his assignment, then that breaks down the integrity of the entire defense and good offenses at this level are able to take advantage of those kind of things. So, you know, you 
have a great, uh, you know, pass defense on a third and 12 called against Virginia. DJ Ivy slips coming out of his break 30 yards down the field. All of a sudden, Bryce Perkins hits that guy and he run for a 60 yard gain. And instead of shutting them out in the first half, you give up a field goal uh, in the last uh, last couple seconds there. Things like that uh, have been happening. And I mentioned DJ Ivy by name, but there are other people who have blown assignments as well. So I'm not saying he's the only one, but things like that where one guy out of place makes a big difference. The other thing that has really plagued this defense this year, and it's not schematic, it's it's intent, I guess. It's just the fact that guys don't want to tackle. You know, you want to do that. It's like they're almost doing the thud drill, but in the game. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Um, and it's just when you miss 29 tackles against Georgia Tech, that's a problem. When you miss 29 tackles against anybody, but especially a team that, you know, doesn't have the talent that you have and allow them to win. Um, that number went down significantly last week at Pittsburgh, um, which is great to see. But, yeah, there's been way too many missed tackles, and especially from guys who uh, you look to to be the leaders on that defense, Michael Pinckney, Shaq Quarterman, Jonathan Garvin, um, you know, guys who have major NFL aspirations. You cannot miss sacks. You can't – or not, not even just sacks, miss tackles. You know, I mean, and on that uh, Kadarius Tony 66-yard touchdown in the opener against uh, Florida, Miami missed eight tackles by five different guys on that one play. Like, what are you doing? So, Mm -hmm. but when you have, and Manny Diaz, when he was the defensive coordinator, talked about tackling, 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 getting guys on the ground. You talk about a a Michael Jackson, you talk about a Jaquan Johnson, a Shedrick Redwine, and he's always talking about the ability for those guys to get guys on the ground. With all three of those guys now moving on to the NFL level and new starters in the secondary, we're seeing that be an issue and also trickling down to the, you know, second and first levels of the defense as well. Miami's obviously really good at red zone defense, 14th in, in the country, uh, 15th in havoc rate, which is really good. Obviously, Florida State's 103rd in loud, so there are no great shakes there either in terms of of, of, of locking it up. They they seem to have schemed it up better uh, in in recent weeks. Uh, Florida State has in terms of offensive line. They they, they also have their own true freshman uh, at at left tackle. Darius Washington is now the uh, the starter there. And, oh no, uh, yeah, he was a. Uh, I would say immediate improvement, the extent of which it's kind of hard to gauge. I think Aaron would agree on that. But he actually was like aggressive and wanted to hit somebody, which was an improvement over Juwan Williams and Abdul Bello, who frequently looked like they were like scuba diving. So The phenomena that you just described at the beginning of the podcast, where you have a tackle who just kind of sits there and mirrors a guy as he runs by, is not something that Florida State fans are uh, – going to have to be too creative and in, in getting a mental picture of what that looks like. <laughs> the immediate open the door is, uh, yeah, yeah, not really the best there. So Miami, they almost never give up explosive runs, but the explosive passes this year, I mean, seventh in, in rush explosive defense, but 94th in, in pass mm-hmm. explosive defense. How much of that is just not tackling screens, and how much of that is coverage bus down the field? Um, more of it is coverage bus down the field um yeah i'm just trying to think back you did have the Kadarius tony touchdown that was uh, a probably a like, pass right it was a pass so that was a, it was a quick screen yeah uh out to the side uh and everything when he motioned uh out so that was a pass um but yeah i think other than that maybe one or two screens but a lot of it has just been vertical throws you know just picking on guys you know um tight ends 
Uh, Shaq Quarterman has been quite poor in coverage this year. Uh, DJ Ivy um, finally got on the board with not one but two interceptions last week. Uh, one of them was tipped on a a ball to the sideline that a linebacker got a hand on that same linebacker that I was talking about uh, that Jaron Williams didn't see Kenny Pickett didn't see uh, Zach McLeod also didn't think that Zach McLeod was that kind of athletic and he sure was uh, to get a hand up there. Um, and then the ball went over uh, to DJ Ivy. And then there was another overthrow uh, that just hit Ivy right between the top and the bottom of the eight. Uh, but he's been victimized up until last week. He was victimized heavily. Um, I think that opposing teams were, like 13 for 14 for 200 something yards targeting him heading into uh into the Georgia Tech game. Uh, I didn't see the updated stat after that, but I mean when you're, you know, five or six games into the year and you're giving up those kind of uh those passing numbers that that's quite uh not good. Uh so yeah, there there have been uh some coverage breakdowns in the secondary for sure uh that need to to get shored up and hopefully, you know, with more pressure up front, you're not giving guys time to just sit back there and scan the uh the defense. But yeah, Miami's defensive backfield and again, had the number one passing defense in America last year, but you lose Jaquan Johnson, Shedrick Redwine, and Michael Jackson off of there. Javante Dean also as a rotation defensive back. So, you know, four of your top five guys are gone from that defense, and you've seen teams take advantage of guys who, you know, um, are – they're ready to play at this level, but they might be a year away from playing well in the big role that they've had at this level, if that makes sense. Cam – this is probably the best offense that that Miami's seen since Florida, right? I mean, I'm trying, I, like, I, obviously looking through some of the ratings are, I know statistically it is. I, UNC has been very good at times, you know, down at times as well. But they it were good against seems us. Like the last four weeks, the offenses they face have not been very good. Right, but I mean, still Virginia Tech wasn't very good. But to give them the ball four times uh, on the first four drives inside of your own thirty-five. Like, well, you know, or well, no, sorry, one time was in the end zone, but the other three times were inside of our own offensive 35. So that goes back to that stat of turning it over in our own end deep, like we were talking about earlier. You know, you give it to them three times there. It's very tough to keep teams out of the end zone. Um, and they, Virginia Tech just went for it. You know, they, they were, they're a 220 hitter who hit 47 home runs in the regular season. You know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. they're swinging for the fences. And if they hit it, it's going to be good. And if they don't, but they hit all of those shots, those throwback screens to the tight end, you know, whatever they had to scheme up, you know, they hit it perfectly. Uh, and that was, you know, able to take advantage, or they were able to take advantage of those situations. But, you know, yeah, Miami has not really faced many explosive offenses. I think that North Carolina's probably best game of the year was against Miami in that game. Florida was pretty solid, but again, that was when they had Franks and before a couple other injuries because, you know, Tony's been out for a while and other guys in their offense have missed time as well. So, you know, you get those two teams at the beginning of the year at their full potential um, for performance and they really do play well but yeah the rest of these offenses that Miami has seen have not been great and the defense has really done their job for the most part these last couple of weeks to get the job done and really make things keep things tight and make them competitive and I always thought this was going to be the paradigm with Manny Diaz as the head coach. The offense or defense continuing to be the elite level group that it was and the offense doing just enough to win. And we saw that at Pittsburgh. So maybe we'll see that again uh, here. So one thing and I, I did go back and watch the pit game and I, I watched the Georgia Tech game live. The last two games, it, it's been interesting because Miami's run defense has been really good for almost the whole year. And in the last two games, Georgia Tech had some success running on them and, 
Pitt had some success running him, but I, when I went back and, and watched that more closely, it seems like Pitt, Pitt's rushing success came out of the Wildcat, uh, and Georgia Tech stuff was a lot of you know pseudo Wildcat like you know read option type type stuff, kind of going back to their roots from last year. This is really interesting because I, like Florida State obviously did not know that Pitt was going to be able to Wildcat them like when they were putting in their game plan for Syracuse, but they ran 14 snaps with Cam Akers in the Wildcat against Syracuse. And he legitimately might be their best option at quarterback just because his legs are, you know, are that good. How worried are you about, like, wild? what a weird question to ask, but, like, how worried are you about Wildcat defense after the last two weeks with, with the, you know, having to defend all 11 in the run game? The thing for me that I've always been concerned about, especially with a Manny Diaz defense, which this still is because you bring in, bring in Blake Baker, who is a Diaz disciple running the same scheme. So this is a Manny Diaz defense. The thing that I've always been concerned about is QB run. I talk about it incessantly. I know that people are like, Cam, why do you keep talking about QB run? Because you can get an extra blocker and then the numbers go from the defense's favor to even or in the offense's favor. So, yeah, the Wildcat situation, um, it does concern me a little bit. Cam Akers, I think, is your best player on offense. So getting him the ball uh, and having him you know, with the ability to make a play – is challenging for Miami's defense. It's not a thing that I want to see happen. So, yeah, I'm always concerned about QB run because even if you go back for years, I mean, with other other coaches and uh, you know uh, here in Miami, Mark D'Onofrio and other defensive coordinators, you know, Logan Thomas ran for a million yards and threw for 500 against Miami and things like that. So, um, yeah, that the Wildcat is a thing that it does concern me. For those, for the reason I said about the numbers and then having your best player with the ball in his hands. And also, again, Miami in the back end, the back seven has missed tons and tons of tackles. So now you're saying, okay, we're going to man block or really absorb the defensive line, get a hold, and then you put Cam Akers against a DB or a linebacker and they got to make a play and he's created the most missed tackles in America and you have a team that... A, two games ago, just missed almost 30 tackles in a game. I have great pause and concern there because if that performance mirrors what it was against Georgia Tech, then that could be bad for us. So, yeah, that is a thing that uh, that I am concerned about. In the last episode, we we kind of broke this down, and Ingram and I had charted it out, and uh, Hornerbrook was, had an on-target percentage, uh, one of eight. Uh, throwing the ball over 10 yards down the field. And it's so like, well, that, that's kind of concerning. And like, if that if that holds, there's no real reason not to play. Uh, oh my gosh, home run Washington with a guy. Uh, Howie Kendrick just he just or just hit a ball off the foul pole on the right hit field. Hit the old foul pole. Yeah. Wow. Three, no, two that, that's why I... I uh, know that that's why I kind of started uh, talking slower at the end of my answer there. And I'm upset <laughs> about that because I want the, the A's, or Astros to win. So let's figure it out, guys. Um <laughs> So, Ingram and I were talking, like, look, man, Miami is susceptible to giving up the deep ball, which is something Kendall Brown's offense does extremely well creating. I mean, they had, they had like, four touchdowns schemed up of 50-plus against Cuse and hit none of them. Uh, in fact, two of them were turned into, like, 20-yard gains because the receivers had to come back to these ridiculous loll- lollipop underthrows and, like, mm-hmm. moss the defensive back uh, just, to, just to catch the ball. Right. But if you can't hit those, there's no real reason not to go – Cam Akers, and I think, honestly, like, I might run Cam Akers in the Wildcat, not just, like, have him run, but just, I might go a Wildcat, like, 50% of the time, 
in this game, especially if it's a game with with what the the, you know, the over under suggests that the race is probably to 24 or 28 points, right? If you score 30 in this game, I think you're feeling real good, yeah. probably, unless it's just a crazy turnover fest, which with the havoc rates, it certainly could be. Uh, but like that's that's an interesting thing I'm looking for. I also like how much will Miami blitz? I, I is it a thing where they're going to start out and see if they can get pressure without the blitz and hang back a little more because they're worried about the deep shots, or, or you think Manny's just going to just going to be Manny and, and, and blitz? I think that you know I think Blake is going to do what we do, and that's going to be blitz. Um, he has learned from Manny Diaz how to call the uh, the corner blitzes uh, and time those up when he calls those. Um, so I think that we're going to see those. But yeah, I would anticipate Miami being Miami, and you know. People were not pleased necessarily with Manny Diaz as defensive coordinator through parts of the last two seasons because, you know, even on the first drive against teams that, you know, Miami ended up beating by two and three touchdowns, we're coming out there blitzing and they're they're converting a third and 11 because we blitz. They say, why are you doing that? We're doing it because that's who we are. You know what I mean? So I anticipate him continuing to do that because we saw that when he was the coordinator. So now that he's the head coach telling the coordinator what to do, what are we going to do? What we always do on defense, which is going to be timely blitzing and figuring out a way uh, to bring pressure because we can bring pressure uh, and can get pressure with four. Uh, unfortunately, I mean, John Garvin, his stats have gone way down this year because he's been double teamed a lot. But if you look at things like pressures, uh, QB hurries and things like that, he's still among the elite players in America. He just doesn't have the sacks that he had when there was Joe Jackson and Jared Willis III and uh, you know whatnot uh, along the defensive line with him. Gregory Russo has stepped up into that role where you know if you're doubling 97 on the one side, that means you're singling up 15 on the other side and he's going to eat you alive because he's – you know, six six or six seven with a wingspan that spans the entire coast eastern coastline of the state of Florida. You know what I mean? And he's just going to get there. Um, so I think that there are times that Miami will rely too much on the 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 stunt game, the tight the the te stunt game along the defensive line, which will open room for guys to run and you know time for the the offensive line to pass. But in general, yeah, I would expect there to see I would expect to see pressure at times, even early in the game, because Miami's going to do what Miami's going to do and be authentic to that process. This is just a really fascinating matchup to me. I I, I really kind of struggle with who to pick. There's so much. There's so much like variance here that, that that's possible because both teams do have athletes and yet both teams lack the quarterback play at times. They they lack the the blocking. You know, Florida State's really good on the defensive interior. Miami's very good at, like a defensive end. I mean, this is this is pretty cool uh, to to kind of watch. Also, I'll have to ask you a special teams question here. Oh God, I think Miami is the largest gap between their punting and field goal kicking efficiency in the nation. I'm pretty sure because they're 125th in field goal kicking. And 18th in punting. This new punter y'all got from Australia, the guy who's all tatted up, he's awesome. No, Lewis Headley, he's great. 6'4", 245, uh, has tats everywhere. He's like 26-year-old, has a kid. Uh, he did scaffolding in the Australian desert. He owned a tattoo shop in Bali for a few years, which is why he's tatted pretty much everywhere south of his jawline. Um I mean, but yeah, no, he's, he's awesome and came in. And everybody's saying, well, you know, he only averaged – 38 or 40 yards a kick at Juco last year. He's not going to be any better than Zach Fiegel's was. Eat your words, everybody, because it, it's, it at first was comedy, but honestly and truly, he might, Lewis Headley, the punter, might be the MVP of this entire team this year. That's how good his performance has been. Seven punts inside the 20, only one touchback. 
hey man, you know, he has like a couple uh high fifties and low sixties. I think as long as sixty-seven on the year with a punt and roll. I mean, he's out there doing the job and doing it really, really well. Uh and that improvement from what we saw before is, you know, just leaps and bounds and light years uh, in front of that. Conversely, however, um Miami is what, six out of fifteen, seven out of sixteen on field goals, I want to say, across three kickers. Um you know, your scholarship kicker, Bubba Baxa, apparently forgot how to hit kicks on an angle. Uh, then you bring in uh, Turner Davidson, who is your number two walk-on, so your number three kicker. And people were calling him McKicken because he looked like McLovin from uh, Superbad. Um, <laughs> I mean, because he, he looks like he's 12. He does. So he hits a couple kicks uh, one week. He comes out the next week, and he shanks one, uh, you know, like it's a – a novice golfer like myself, you know, off of the tee somewhere. So he shanks one from 34. Then you go back to Bubba Bax, so he misses one. You go back to Davidson, he misses one. Um, you know, just things like that. Then you go to your number two kicker, who is your number one walk-on, who was away from the team for a couple weeks, who knows why, in Camden Price. He comes in last week, and he hits all of his kicks, a field goal and two extra points. So, I mean, that is, you know, better. But, uh, yeah, you know, hopefully – one of these guys sticks. I think it might be Camden Price. Uh, Bubba Bax is going to stay on kickoffs just because he has a howitzer for a leg, so he's going to kick him through the end zone. Uh, but, yeah, I I hope, I really honestly and truly hope that Camden Price is able to continue being a consistent kicker. But uh, throughout this entire season, kicking has hamstrung us, has, has snake-bitten us. I mean, with consistent kicking this year, Miami is easily 5-3, and three, probably 6-2. and two. Uh, but yeah, you just have miss kick after miss kick after miss kick, and you you know you lose games by one, two, five, and six points. Uh, you know you, you lose a game by five, but you miss two field goals and an extra point. That's seven points right there. Like, what are we doing? All right, do you want to give a prediction here? And uh, if so, how good do you feel about this prediction? Um, I do because I'm fine uh, putting myself on the line like that. Um, I don't feel good about the prediction, honestly. Miami's team had a team meeting last week uh, before the pit game, and I think that really galvanized this group. You saw them fight all the way to the end at Pittsburgh. Even when we were losing games, Miami has not quit on uh, the coach or the team, which is not something that we've said or been able to say for years. If you remember when Al Golden was here, that team unequivocally quit. Uh, but a Manny Diaz coach team, at least early in his first year as a head coach, this team doesn't quit. Um, and I think that, that that meeting has galvanized them. So I'm going to pick Miami outright uh, to win. I think it's going to be a close game, um, you know, maybe four, three or four-point uh, margin of victory. But that's just my gut, and I hope I'm right. Our goals for the game for Florida State will be uh, five and a half yards of play on offense, I think, and then uh, five and a quarter allowed on defense. I mean, I, I think these teams are – Ingram, unless you disagree, you want to go with something different on that. That's like it's like no, a five right percent edge. Yeah. Um, my power numbers say Florida State by one. So, you know, like you really can't have a twenty-six to twenty-five game. That's not really a varied football score, but that's that's what it gave me. Look, we'll find a way to get there. Trust me. I mean, with, with these all the teams, miss, all yeah. the kicks we've missed. Come with on, these now. teams, these kickers. Exactly what I was about to say. Yeah. And with these offensive lines, might give a might give an unexpected safety or something like that as well. Uh, oh yeah, get all kinds of crazy math in this game. Oh. I, yeah, this this does have potential to be higher scoring simply because of the potential for turnovers and defensive 
defensive scoring because you you have a, a real high chance that these quarterbacks are going to get hit. I think unless yeah. Florida State just goes full wild cam and if they do go full wild cam and end up beating Miami while running like six like just Hornibrook doesn't even play, you know they just go wild cam. Um, that would be hilarious. I think I love that name for the formation because my name is Cam, but I hate it. I hate that scenario because I could I could totally see that happening. You know, just like give him the ball and let him cook, and then Florida State ends up winning. I, yeah, ugh, I would I would hate it, but it would be interesting to watch. Cam, you gave us almost an hour, man. That is that is really really appreciated. Yeah, man. I mean, it's a it's a pleasure to talk to you guys. You know, we've been friends for a while, so you know, I appreciate uh, and and watch for, or listen from afar uh, to the Noel cast and everything. You guys have been doing great work, so it's a pleasure to be able to come on here and, and chop it up with you guys for sure. All right, bud, let's uh, fall back as we are frequently fortunate to uh, be able to do, and that is uh, go to some of the listener questions we've received from uh, Patreon, and and we occasionally try to keep our eye and grab one one or two from Twitter if we see something. Uh, I saw a question tonight that I will implement in, so uh, let's get to the Q&A segment here and uh, try to give people the answers to their questions. I'll lead off reading. Stacey McCormick asks, It seems like Hornerbrook doesn't press when things go wrong and his demeanor remains consistent. Part of what I do is train on leadership, and one of the things I teach is the only way to be great is to be consistent emotionally. Blackman uh, presses when the game is tight or he's made a mistake. So would you agree that this is the difference? You want it first or you want it second? Um, well, that's a very interesting question, uh, Stacey, and, and unique perspective as well. Uh, from my own point of view i pride myself on trying to become somewhat consistent through things and uh probably am a little bit biased and that's what i want out of myself and valuing that in other people um i think there's some intangibles to be had when discussing demeanor and things like that but uh, i also think from a general perspective uh fans tend to make too much out of uh, relatively smaller issues I, th- I think I agree with you there. Um, I do think that Hornerbrook is, for the most part, more composed. We really haven't seen him have like a sideline flip out or anything like that. But also keeping in mind here that Hornerbrook has played against uh, the the lesser of the teams that Florida State has played for the most part, you know, this year. Um, like he didn't play on the road at Virginia. He didn't play against Boise. I mean, these are teams that have you know not a whole lot of losses combined uh, between them. And obviously, he played really poorly. Against uh, against Clemson, so much so that I mean the fans didn't think so, but the, the coaching staff certainly did not think that uh, uh, that that he was playing better there. But I, I think that that Stacey's probably correct in the observation about uh, about the emotional consistency of Hornerbrook. Uh, that's only one piece of the puzzle. I should remind everybody: like if you can't hit the deep passes, then I don't care how calm you are when throwing you know, moon balls that don't come any, anywhere close. Like calm, erratic, eccentric. I don't really care if you're not effective. Uh, but if you're going to have two quarterbacks that are not very effective, then certainly having the one who's a little more emotionally stable probably makes a lot of sense. Probably helps. Uh, Joe asks, uh, felt like the Q's defensive ends we were worried about were largely neutralized. Did our offensive tackles play better than expected, or did we do a better job of masking their deficiencies? Or... Did the Q's defensive ends just have a bad game? Was there any improvement that we can replicate or grow on moving forward? Yeah, so some of all three, actually. I I, I think that Joe is just right on all of these observations. 
so FSU did a good job to neutralize them. How did they do that? Well, let's first start with giving some, some credit to FSU's players. Uh, Darius Washington does play hard. And we talked about this a little bit in the, in the Syracuse Review episode and said, hey, this is something that like it's this is encouraging. Washington actually plays hard and wants to hit somebody. And your other two guys who have been playing that position don't always seem to, to show aggressiveness. And sometimes we'll play an entire game without really showing much aggressiveness. Now, that doesn't mean Washington's a good player. He's not yet. He's not even an average player yet. I mean, as far as on like the span of, of tackles in the league, he's one of the worst. But he's a true freshman. That is largely to be expected. Another key was getting up early in this game. Florida State jumped out to an early lead, and I think that meant that Syracuse couldn't just sit back and pass rush all the time. The third key, I would say, is that Florida State did do a great job of hiding it, it, its deficiencies here relative to, to what they are. And what I mean by that is, if you recall, I went back and charted that. I think they only had one or two passes, depending on how you want to classify it, that were not some sort of either quick game, screen, play action, RPO, or max protect. So as far as just, hey, let's drop back and let, let's uh, let's only have like one back protecting or everybody goes out into a route and it's not just quick game, the Florida State just basically didn't do that against Syracuse. They didn't have to. Um, and in doing so, they were able to really neutralize those guys. So I think that's a great observation, something that if Florida State can continue to do, uh, then certainly they'll be really happy. I just I don't know how effective that plan is uh, against some of these better defenses you're going to play when you yourself don't really have an elite defense to back up that that conservative style of play. Complete agreement there. Also, I just I, th- I think to an extent they were poor and uh, that Syracuse is kind of kind of thrown in the towel from an overall perspective and you certainly have improved at, at blocking at McKitty, but again when you see McKitty. Uh, and not that Robinson is a dynamic force uh, of physicalness. He's a better pass rusher. But when you see McKitty like, drive block a guy's ass straight into the ground, um, I question as to whether or not maybe they completely brought their old A game that day. But uh, that's just me being skeptical. Uh, Michael's next question. Uh, did you see who's, uh, who Syracuse has to go play now? Uh, no. Who do, who do they have next? Oh, yeah, that'll be fun. That'll be a lot of fun. Boston College. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Talk about a style of play that, like, if you don't, if you don't buckle it up, it's going to be a whole lot of 250-pound thighs running straight at you. And, uh, yeah, that's a that's a, not a team I would want to play with any kind of question of motivation. That's a, that's a great point there. Uh, next question comes from Michael. Michael asks, obviously, this year's roster is what it is. But is there anything Willie can do to upgrade the positions of need for next year, aside from hitting the transfer portal hard this offseason? I really would like to see him succeed with us, and I'm wondering what he needs to do to turn it around. No, that's that's really – like there's only two ways to acquire new players, right? You either sign them as recruits. Florida State doesn't really seem like they're in line to sign anybody really elite at the offensive line position. So that would be, you know, kind of one of the major positions of need. Now, there are some guys coming in who I think can make an early impact. Certainly the running backs, assuming they stick with Florida State, are capable of making an early impact. Uh, but that's those are the only two ways you can get players, transfers or signing them as recruits. And there's not really a quick fix for some of these positions like, like we've discussed, you know, with, with the O-line. You know, Ingram, the, the choice of a lawyer is a really important choice to make. It should be an informed choice. You should do your research on it. And it can be a stressful choice, especially if you're going through a divorce. Maybe you're having issues dividing property. 
maybe disputes over child support or visitation, alimony questions, problems enforcing the term of, of an already existing order. We know somebody who's an expert in the field, Travis Johnson of the Metter and Johnson Law Firm. He's somebody you can trust. 850-435-9919. That's 850-435-9919. Travis is the guy to go to. He's one of only 280 board-certified family law attorneys in the state of Florida. That's out of 110,000 attorneys. So pretty small slice of the pie there who are actually board-certified in family law. Over a decade of experience, he also has teaching experience. He's an expert in, in this field. Travis Johnson, if you need a good family law attorney, somebody you can trust who will go to bat for you, 850-435-9919. Jesse asks, is Terry's effort subpar for the most part of the season? He seems to be sleepwalking unless the play is him going for a long touchdown. His blocking can be extremely poor at times, and the drops have begun to add up. After seeing Jordan Young come back and fight for a ball against Cuse, <laughs> And granted, in garbage town, uh, I can't remember seeing Terry with that kind of effort on a reception, at least when the game mattered this season. How would you guys rate his effort this season? Am I wrong? I probably wouldn't give it an A. Um, I, I think at times his like do do we factor in concentration to effort, right? Like like if so, then then you can't give him a real high grade because I think he's had some concentration lapses uh, with, with with some of these drops that he's had, especially on on some of the in breaking routes. So I, I don't know what what grade would I give him. Probably, not not a, not a good one as as far as overall effort. I'm not saying that he's sleepwalking through the whole year. I also I would disagree that I can't that like on not being able to recall Tamari Terry making good effort on catches this year. He he absolutely has. He just he's had some drops. That that's been my main issue with him. It's drops and then occasionally uh, some some lack of uh, effort. It appears on on blocking. Yeah, I was going to say his his effort plays have, have not so much been uh, where maybe he didn't think the ball was, you know, being thrown to uh, thrown to another receiver rather than him. But it's the real questions of effort and focus uh, have been on some of the run blocking. And, and I get it. I think a little bit uh, Terry's exceptionally talented when he hits on a big play. A lot of times it's 74 yards or something like that. You know, what I mean? I'm just throwing out a uh, pulled a number out of the air but it's it's big plays and it's explosive plays and when he doesn't succeed i think uh you get almost frustrated with him by it and he's just kind of a long um he's got a little bit of a body type that i think maybe doesn't look like he's exerting max effort when sometimes he does you hear this a lot about baseball players that you know when they're running around the bases don't really necessarily look like they're sprinting at uh, at full capacity but when you look at them uh, as far as a stopwatch or whatever else, they're just as fast as anybody else. It's just more the way they look. And I think maybe he's got a little bit of a long stride and a demeanor that doesn't necessarily make him look like he's uh, at 100% all the time. I mean, he's a strider for sure, you know. I mean, like, and, and I think that impacts his his perception amongst the fans out there. Ingram, you got a, uh, you got a, you got a uh, predicted score here? Uh, it's tough, man. I, I think Florida State wins by uh, three to four points somewhere in that area. I'd, I'd be maybe 31-27, somewhere, somewhere kind of what I've thought throughout the week. All right. That is a much more reachable score, I think, than 26-25. Um, so. it's, got, it's got its own quirkiness. <laughs> getting, getting to 31 is a, a little bit unique, but yeah. <laughs> 